0: Welcome to the Two Minute Medicine Podcast, summarizing the latest medical studies curated and written by practicing physicians. For our full suite of daily medical study summaries and updates written by practicing doctors, please visit our website at twominutemedicine.com to start reading new daily content right now for free. On this podcast, twice a month, we cover the latest in healthcare news and research evidence. We are your hosts, deep d and andrew on today's episode we'll start off by discussing our articles of the week in the second half of the episode we will look at health issues that have arisen in popular media please head to our website at two 2MinuteMedicine.com to sign up for two minute medicine plus now for just 4.99 a month this single premium offering affords subscribers ad-free reading and all of two minute medicine's content this includes over 100 pieces of new original monthly content, including our daily medical reports, visual abstracts, the Classics in Medicine series, wellness checks, and more. Our first article of the week comes from The Lancet and is entitled Two Day Versus Five Days of Postoperative Antibiotics for Complex Appendicitis a pragmatic, open-label, multi-center, non-inferiority randomized trial. Intravenous antibiotics, following complex appendectomy, is the current standard of practice. However, the appropriate duration of antibiotic therapy remains unclear, as recent studies have suggested a shorter course of antibiotics may be sufficient, while also reducing the duration of hospital stay and antibiotic use. This randomized control trial aimed to compare the safety and efficacy of two-day versus five-day intravenous antibiotics among patients who underwent laparoscopic appendectomy for complicated appendicitis. Between April 12th 2017, and June 3rd, 2021, 13,267 patients were assessed for eligibility from 15 hospitals in the Netherlands. Included were patients with greater than eight years of complex appendicitis and an American Society of Anesthesiologists classification of one to three. Altogether, approximately 1,000 patients in the two-day course and 500 patients in the five-day course were included in the primary analysis. The primary outcome was infectious complications and mortality within 90 days following surgery, while key secondary outcomes included the duration of postoperative antibiotics, rates of intra-abdominal abscess, and surgical site infection. The primary outcome occurred in 10% of patients in the two-day group and 8% of patients in the five-day group. Although readmission to hospital was more common in the two-day group than in the five-day group, there were fewer patients with adverse events of antibiotics in the two-day group. In summary, the rate of the 90-day infectious complications and mortality were similar in both groups, with the two-day group satisfying the non-inferiority criteria. Although there was a shorter median hospital admission in the two-day group, The rates of readmission were significantly increased in the two-day group compared to the longer duration of therapy. One major criticism of this study was that the follow-up after hospital discharge was approximately 66% and patients were not standardized to oral antibiotic therapy after discharge due to medication adherence concerns. Our second article of the week comes from Pediatrics and is entitled Childhood Abuse, intimate partner violence in young adulthood, and welfare receipt by midlife. Child abuse and intimate partner violence in young adulthood have been linked to worse long-term mental and physical health outcomes, but evidence for financial impacts in adulthood remains scant. Using data from the Quebec Longitudinal Study of Kindergarten Children, this study linked retrospective self-reports of abuse including physical and sexual abuse during childhood, intimate partner violence between the ages of 18 and 22, with tax records. Negative binomial regression was used to measure the association between years of welfare receipt and experience of abuse, with separate analyses run for type of abuse and timing of abuse. Models were adjusted for child characteristics and family background. Considering type of abuse first, individuals who experienced physical abuse alone and physical abuse in combination with sexual abuse were both at more than a two-fold risk of welfare receipt. Sexual abuse was not associated with increased risk of welfare receipt after controlling for confounders. Next, considering time of abuse, individuals who experienced both child abuse and intimate partner violence were at more than threefold risk of welfare receipt. Abuse during childhood or young adulthood alone was not associated with increased risk of welfare receipt after controlling for confounders. By linking reports of abuse with taxed record data, this study aimed to investigate the associations between various types and timing of abuse and welfare receipt. With a sample size of 1,690 participants, this is the largest study of economic consequences of abuse to date. The analyses also benefits from rigorous epidemiologic methods, particularly the author's decision to control for family-level socioeconomic status during childhood. Limitations include a reliance on self-report for documentation of experiences of abuse. Additional evidence will be needed to assess the generalizability of these findings to a more diverse sample. Now for the scan, the pop culture-focused part of our podcast bringing a medical eye to popular events We'll start off by talking about Black History Month. Every year, February is recognized as Black History Month, a time when the culture and triumphs of Black Americans are recognized and celebrated. In addition to this, it is also a time to reflect and look at the ways to make positive changes moving forward. In this section, we will examine two such categories within the medical context, social determinants of health and diversity. The social determinants of health are non-medical factors that can influence a person's health and access to medical services. There are a number of factors that fall under the umbrella of social determinants of health, such as education, income, and gender. However, race and racism are of particular interest during Black History Month. Black Americans experience unique health challenges, such as a higher risk of maternal mortality, a disproportionate amount of COVID-19 deaths, and a higher rate of many chronic diseases compared to their white counterparts, including diabetes and heart disease. Furthermore, racism has been known to impact several health dimensions, including mental health, cardiovascular, cognitive outcomes, and more. Issues such as negative experiences in the healthcare system, lack of access to medical services, lower quality care, and medical mistrust as a result of systemic and structural racism are some of the reasons for the healthcare disparities that are experienced by Black Americans. Bringing attention to the issues of stark health disparities is important in taking steps to breaking down the barriers that influence the black community. Diversity is still an issue that the medical field faces. AAMC estimates from 2018 suggests that only 5% of active physicians in the United States identified as black or African-American despite accounting for over 13% of the population. In fact, Studies have shown that the number of Black physicians has not changed much over the past century. Issues of diversity have also been identified in medical teaching, where white patients have often been considered the standard. This has prompted the movement to seek better representation in medical school teaching. There has also been a push for improved diversity in medical research and clinical trials, as people of color are often disproportionately represented in study populations, which limits the generalizability of study findings to these racial and ethnic groups. YouTube's most subscribed creator, Mr. Beast, recently made headlines when he released a video titled. 1,000 blind people see for the first time. In the video, the internet sensation paid for sight-restoring surgeries for 1,000 people over the span of a few weeks. The video has received praise for its generosity, but has also sparked controversy. Although some have criticized the video for using philanthropy to gain views, others have pointed out how this video highlights an issue with an access to medical care. There are over 3 million people in the United States who are legally blind, and blindness is considered one of the top causes of disability in the country. The many causes of blindness include diabetic retinopathy, glaucoma, and macular degeneration. However, cataracts, which is the medical term for a cloudy area in the eye lens, are the leading cause of blindness in the world. Those who experience blindness as a result of cataracts experience a form of disability that is potentially treatable by replacement with an artificial lens rather than with surgery. This procedure can be life-changing. However, access remains a significant issue. Several barriers to accessing care remain in place for those who wish to receive site-restoring surgery, including funding and insurance coverage, given that the surgery can cost upwards of $3,000 per patient. Globally, those living in lower income countries also have reduced access to cataract surgery despite having a higher disease burden. In many lower income countries, women are significantly less likely to receive sight restoring surgery despite accounting for more cases of cataracts. Vision restoring surgery can drastically improve quality of life for affected individuals. Damar Hamlin, an NFL player for the Buffalo Bills, recently went down in a horrifying scare and received on-field CPR from the team's athletic trainer. Hamlin is now using this experience as an opportunity to teach others about the importance of CPR. He has recently teamed up with the American Heart Association for the 3 for Heart CPR Challenge. This is a three-step challenge that encourages people to first learn CPR, then donate to the American Heart Association to help fund CPR training and share their support by posting a picture and calling on three friends to complete the challenge. So far, Hamlin has challenged celebrities such as LeBron James, Tom Brady, and Michelle Obama to complete the tasks. CPR involves providing chest compressions following stoppage of the heart, which can increase the likelihood of survival by two to three times if administered immediately. It is estimated that over 300,000 Americans experience cardiac arrest outside of a hospital setting each year, and it is in such instances that community CPR is vital. However, estimates suggest that fewer than 20% of Americans are up to date on their CPR training, which likely explains why although studies have found more than half of -of out-of-hospital cardiac events are witnessed by individuals, only around 30% actually receive bystander CPR. Furthermore, the distribution of those who are CPR trained is not evenly distributed. It is found that there are large variations by region in out-of-hospital cardiac arrest survival, which was largely attributable to bystander CPR intervention. Particularly, it was found that the odds of receiving bystander CPR was associated with the income and demographics of the neighborhood in which the event occurred. Improving the number of people who are trained and confident in CPR is an important step in making sure that those who suffer cardiac events have a better chance at survival. Recently, the diabetes medication known as Ozempic has been in short supply due to its use as a weight loss drug. The injectable medication is used in type 2 diabetes to reduce blood sugar by mimicking the action of a hormone called glucagon-like peptide 1. GLP-1 works to reduce blood sugar in a number of ways, such as by signaling the body to produce more insulin and slowing the movement of the food into the small intestines. GLP-1 antagonists like Ozempic have also been known to contribute to weight loss. In fact, Wagavi, a prescription medication for weight loss in individuals who are overweight or obese is the same as Ozempic, only delivered at a higher dose. The Ozempic shortage has also sparked important discussions regarding the stigma surrounding obesity and the importance of considering obesity as a chronic disease. As some medical associations have advocated for preferential access to the drug for diabetes patients, other professionals have pointed out that limiting the drug's use to treat obesity Perpetuates misconceptions and undermines the importance of considering obesity as a chronic disease. Others are concerned that the drugs' rise in popularity will reinforce body shaming and stigma surrounding weight. We'd like to acknowledge the following members of our team for their contributions to this week's episode: Ashley Jackson, Neil Mystery, Teddy Guo, and Alex Gipsman. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Two Minute Medicine podcast. New episodes come out every other week and all of our content has been curated and written by practicing physicians. Please head to our website at twominutemedicine.com to learn more and to access all of our content, including medical study summaries, visual abstracts, excerpts from our classics book series, which is available on Amazon and the scan, which is our medical newsletter. Thank you so much. Once again, to make sure that you don't miss any of our content, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter or Instagram at 2MinMed.